Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Acts chapter 3, we're going to go back to verse 1 through 10, and we're going to read verse 1 through 10. Our goal in this series is not really to read every single verse line by line and teach from it. Our goal in this series is to read the book of Acts and extract principles and truth from it, examine the blueprint of the book of Acts church so that we can apply that here at our local church, Legacy Nashville, and that we could be a New Testament, New Covenant community in 2023 that resembles or at least reflects the beauty of the early church in the book of Acts. Are you guys excited about that? Okay, good. We're going to read verse 1 through 10 all together. Chapter 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Sound like they had a prayer room. Every Thursday, 6 a.m., they were headed to prayer room. Verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Every miracle in the book of Acts was done in the name of Jesus. And he took him up by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened happened to him. This is the word of God. Amen. So today, what I'm going to do is continue where I started last week. And the title of the message is going to be 10 marks of a book of Acts church so far, part two. Forgive the long title. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus, uh, for the everlasting word of your good news. Lord, we seek today to apply all that you wanna speak to us unto the transformation of each and every one of us and our local assembly here at Legacy Nashville. Father, we love you and we rejoice in the reality that Jesus has come, given his life for each and every one of us, died and resurrected on the third day and has released the Holy Spirit to his bride, which is us, and we have you within us today as we study your word. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen, amen. Give somebody a high five and have a seat. We're going we're to eat. All right, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. This turned out to be a soapbox sermon. So what that means is I wrote it on my soapbox. So it's all from the Bible, but there's some pretty intense perspectives embedded within it from me. 
I'm going to try this side because I don't really know if they're going to get with me on this, but I'm just going to warn you, okay? I'm giving you a disclaimer. This is a rated R sermon for real. Are you cool with it? All right. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you. Okay. So we read Acts chapter three, verse one through 10. The remainder of Acts chapter three is another sermon from the apostle Peter. And since we didn't read it entirely as we did our reading, I'm going to give you a summary, all right? As a preacher, I love to read through the sermons that are preached in the New Testament, and then I try to pretend like I know where their points are. So basically what I can tell from this message is that Peter has two points. His first point is what is an explanation. Everybody say explanation. The second point is what is an exhortation. Everybody say exhortation. So what the apostle Peter is doing firstly is he is explaining to Israel what has taken place through the healing of the lame man at the gate called beautiful. He is saying, God has raised this man up in the name of Jesus. And in spite of his authority, you have crucified this Jesus who is in fact the Messiah, but God, here's the first message that included that preacher phrasing, but God has raised him up on the third day and he is no longer dead, but he is risen. Y'all give me another one. You got it. Yes, let's go. I'm just, I'm just getting you ready. I'm training you for Easter. We're going to do it like 22 times on Easter. So that's what the apostle Peter says first. He explains the miracle and then he goes into an exhortation and he says, listen, Israel, you rejected Jesus previously, but what's important today is that you receive Jesus now. And here's why you got to receive Jesus, because remember Israel, all of your prophets have been prophesying for centuries about the Messiah, and now the Messiah is here, and you need to receive him. What is it that they prophesied? Well, firstly, they prophesied that he would be crucified. Secondly, they prophesied that he would be resurrected. And all throughout the prophe uh, prophecies, major and minor prophets of the Old Testament, they said, this is what he's gonna do when he shows up. This is the kind of ministry that he's gonna have. And what else did they prophesy? One day he's gonna return. He's gonna come back. So you gotta get right with God. You need to accept Jesus as the Messiah so that you can be saved by Jesus who is alive. That's what Peter's preaching in Acts chapter three. And so that's the remainder of Acts chapter three. So that's where I wanna pause today. We did it, y'all. We made it through Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, and Acts chapter three. We did it. In almost three months, we made it through three chapters of the New Testament. Can you believe it? Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, and Acts chapter three. So the sermon series that we're in right now, the wine and the wineskin, is we're kind of pulling the car over on the side of the road and we're looking at the 10 marks of a Book of Acts church so far. So this is part two of that. I did uh, the, the first four marks last week. I'm gonna do the last six marks this week. We're gonna try to get through them. No promises. I told you it's a soapbox sermon. So I might have to like, you know, pit stop and just share a few opinions. Y'all gonna let me do that? Okay, cool. So let's recap. The first one, the first mark of a book of Acts church is this, absolute obedience to Jesus. The first mark of a New Testament church is absolute obedience to Jesus. I am not in charge of this church. My wife, Allison, is not in charge of this church, despite what some people think. Jesus is in charge of this church. 
He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the head of the house and Jesus is the senior pastor. Jesus has absolute authority in any New Testament church. The second thing is this, Holy Spirit baptism. And we do not hold back from encouraging you to be baptized both in water and in the spirit. We encourage you to speak with other tongues as the spirit provides utterance. Like in Acts chapter two, we read that a few weeks ago. Why is that? Because Jesus told us that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive power. And I don't know about you, but I need power. I don't think that I can live this life of faith in my own strength. I need grace. Anybody else in the room? I need power, amen? So therefore we rely on continual infillings. There's only one baptism, but there's many infillings in the book of Acts. We rely, as, as Mama Heidi always says, we're broken leaky vessels. So we rely on constant infillings from the Holy Spirit. Am I talking to anybody else in the room? That's me. That's the second mark, Holy Spirit baptism. The third mark is this, local unto global evangelism and missions. Now, whenever Jesus first started ministry and began calling disciples to himself, what did he say? Follow me and I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Follow me, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. You ever meet people in Nashville and you wonder what their angle is? You know what I'm saying? Cause like we live in a city of dreamers and sometimes people got angles when you meet them and you're like, bro, what's your motivation right now? What's up? You know what I love about Jesus is that Jesus never tried to work an angle with any of his disciples. He just told them what he was all about from the start. He said, listen, I'm inviting you to follow me, meaning we're gonna have intimacy together, but I don't want you to follow me unless you intend on fishing for me. Because I'm telling you in advance what my goal for your life is, and that is to turn you into an evangelist. Man, is quiet in here already. To turn you into a missionary that has received the great commission, therefore we are all missionaries. You remember this? Right, so whenever you think about, okay, am I really fishing? That's the wrong question. The right question is, am I really following? Because if I'm really connected to Jesus and in intimacy with him and he's laid his hands on me and he's transforming me, then I know that he has a goal for my life and my ministry and that is to turn me into a fisherman. That's why I truly believe, guys, evangelism is not a personality problem, it's an intimacy problem. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I'll share in his heart for the lost. The more connected I am to him in prayer, the more my heart is gonna break for people who've never met him. You with me? So that's the, that's the next mark. It's evangelism, local unto global evangelism or missions. Number four is God-ordained leadership. How many of you guys know there is a biblical standard for who should lead a church? I'm, I'm gonna go back over here. So how many of you guys know over here, like there's a biblical standard? Like a dude can't just decide that he's gonna start a church and he's gonna go to a bar and have a beer and say, this is my church. Okay, we're gonna get back to that. I could tell we hit a little like, there's a high traffic area right there. A lot of ideas flying. So just give me a minute and we're gonna get back to that. Let's go to the fifth mark right now, all right? You ready for the fifth mark of a Book of Acts church? It is this, corporate encounter. Corporate encounter, a Book of Acts church has regular corporate encounters. In Acts chapter two, verse one through four, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, keyword corporate, all together where in one place. Suddenly there's a sound 
like a mighty rushing wind. There is fire that appeared to them, meaning there's supernatural sounds, supernatural sights. And then next we see them begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit enables them, meaning there is supernatural speeches. All right, Acts chapter two, supernatural sounds, sights, and speeches. It is very supernatural. It's a big encounter, but it happens corporately. And that's one of the marks of a book of Acts church is corporate encounters. On day one, the opening day of the church, the church begins in a corporate supernatural Holy Spirit encounter. The upper room experience, as we've previously studied for the last couple of weeks, it includes sounds, sights, and speeches. Somebody say supernatural. It's crazy, right? It's a corporate encounter. And so while each corporate encounter in the book of Acts was a little bit different, they continued to happen as the church continued to gather consistently and corporately in larger settings for the purpose of seeking God through prayer. That's what happened. And so I want to emphasize something real quick, which is the corporate part of encounter, corporate part of corporate encounter. So in verse 46 of chapter two, you see, it says, and day by day, they attended the temple together. That means that the book of Acts church was more religious than we ever thought about being. You ever hear people say like, Jesus was not religious. You forgot, he was an Orthodox Jew. He was way more religious than we are. He was in church a lot more often than we are. The book of Acts church, the early church, they went to temple a lot more than we go to church once a week or as we'll see in a minute, according to Pew Research Center, the average, the majority, the average American Christian goes to church one to two times a month or, or I don't know why they gave this loose like opportunity for response or a few times a year. I'm like, I don't really know how to gauge. I just know, like, I hear people say like, oh, it's a CEO Christian, Christmas and Easter only. And I get that. It's like, okay, yeah, I got it. Like, but that's normal. That was not normal to the Acts 2 church, guys. That was not normal. They were, they were very devoted to the fellowship. Pastor Michelle preached about that a couple of weeks ago. But both of Peter's sermons so far in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 happened where? In and around the temple. That means it was corporate. And as you'll see in Acts chapter four, there were over 5,000 people that were saved before we even finish Acts chapter four. And where did that happen? In and around the temple. Now, certainly the early church, they definitely met in houses. We all know that. We see that in Acts chapter two, especially as persecution began to increase. They had to go indoors and they had to meet house to house, but they also met together in large format worship gatherings in and around the temple. So to suggest that the early church only met in living rooms or bar rooms without any clear corporate concrete God ordained human authority is a sincere dishonest reading of the text. I told you I'd have a few opinions, Seth. But it, it, it's true. The early church, they had Sunday gatherings and you know what else they had? They had dinner parties, quote unquote. Right? They did. They met. It was like, a, it was like the air war and the ground game. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was the temple courts and there was house to house or vice versa. Right? They did that and we do that today. And so by any modern standard, there were certainly small groups in Acts chapter two and three and there were certainly mega churches. So, so all I'm asking is like, let's not demonize one or the other expression as though they're not biblical. 5,000 people were meeting on Sundays and that's the, the corporate part. Now let's look at the encounter part. You know, the Holy Spirit showed up to both. 
He, he can show up in bar rooms and living rooms and he can show up in, on Sunday service or Wednesday night prayer gathering. He can show up in prayer. The Holy Spirit loves to show up where we gather in his name. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, and they devoted themselves to prayers. The prayers actually, plural, interestingly enough. And it's possible, even probable, that as they gathered in these large format meetings, they prayed scripted prayers. I know that's crazy for a group of Pentecostals to even imagine, but believe it or not, it is possible, even probable, that as the early Christians gathered together, they prayed scripted prayers. You have to remember that the word Christian wasn't even used at this point, and people who were Christians didn't see themselves as such at this time. They saw themselves as Jews who had simply received Jesus as the Messiah. So they continued to go to temple, just like Peter and John. They were literally going to a Jewish service as Christians who had accepted Jesus and then a man gets healed on their way in, providing an opportunity for him to stand up and preach the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Are you bored with that? Okay. So as the early church sought God together in prayer, God responded repeatedly by releasing undeniable supernatural corporate Holy Spirit encounters to the believers present. So what's our response? I have a response for every one of these points today, but one. As the early church was, we are passionately devoted to corporate worship gathering, seeking God prayerfully. When we gather as his body, we eagerly expect his spirit to be clearly made manifest often in undeniable supernatural corporate encounters. No gathering is routine and it's never just another Sunday. That, that's just me. You, you remember that one time when Jesus showed up to the prayer meeting and Thomas wasn't there? You remember that? I always think about Thomas every time I think about skipping church. I'm like, but what if this is the Sunday? Like Jesus like walks through the wall and he's like, look at my hands. Put your hand in me, bro. You know, I'm like, what if that happens and I'm not there? I don't know, that's just me. I just think about Thomas every time I think about skipping church. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody for not coming to church when you can't. But I am asking you to check yourself for not coming to church when you can. All right, here's mark number six, Jesus-centered preaching, all right? The, the preaching in the book of Acts was not a TED talk. It was not a motivational speech that was purposed on the people listening, living a more successful, inspirational lifestyle. It was geared towards them being in relationship with the only person that matters, which is Jesus. It was Jesus-centered preaching. The church definitely began in a corporate, supernatural, Holy Spirit encounter. But what happens immediately after the encounter in the very same hour? There is preaching. Now, this is the ultimate soapbox point for me because I am a preacher. And I love the fact that in the same way Jesus was always found teaching, the New Testament church was always found preaching. There was always preaching happening in the New Testament church. It was essential to the ministry of Jesus and it is essential to the ministry of the church. Romans chapter 10 says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? In the ministry of Jesus, yes, we see supernatural miracles, but we also see divine messages. Jesus is both performing miracles and he's preaching sermons. 
the supernatural and preaching was always supposed to go together. It was never supposed to be separated. It was that way with Jesus. It was that way with Acts. And it could and it should be that way in 2023 with the church. We should not be choosing between spirit and truth. Is it either or? No, it's both. Because in John chapter four, we see true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. We at Legacy, we're a big spirit church, but we're also a big truth church. We don't just want to do one or the other. And unfortunately, we have like church streams, you know, that have emerged today. And some streams, they really emphasize spirit and other streams, they emphasize truth. We just want to emphasize both because the father says that's the type of worshipers he's looking for. So we want to do both. We want to do spirit and truth. Now, as a charismatic, all right, I grew up Pentecostal. You guys know that. As a charismatic, we, what I've noticed is we often see preaching as something that should take a back seat to worship. Have you noticed that? Think about how we talk about great services. The service was so good today that there wasn't even any preaching. Think about that. How often do you hear that, right? Like wasn't even any preaching. Do you know that is almost unthinkable to the early church and you never see that happening in the ministry of Jesus. Our goal here at Legacy, I'm just gonna tell you guys as the pastor, I know it's my soapbox moment, but our goal is not to have church so good that nobody needs to preach. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Surely our goal is to follow the Holy Spirit. We don't wanna quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. And there's gonna be certain Sundays where nobody's gonna preach because we sense that what the Holy Spirit is doing is having us lean into worship or prayer or repentance or ministry or something else. But having a service where nobody opens up the Bible and proclaims the word of God to the body is not gonna be the norm. And the reason for that is because it's not the norm in the book of Acts church. It's not the norm. It's never, it wasn't really the norm even in the ministry of Jesus. Every time you see him working miracles, he's always teaching about it afterward or he's teaching about the kingdom, then he's working miracles. The supernatural and teaching was always meant to go hand in hand. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And yet we've you know, broken off in all these streams and it's like, well, we're gonna be a big worship church. Well, we're gonna be a big preaching church. Well, we're gonna be a big word church. Well, we're gonna be a big dance church or whatever. I just think just... Just do it, just like, just do both and not be hating on people who do it different and just let everybody celebrate Jesus in a biblical way. That, that's, that's my heart. And, and so like, because I'm charismatic, sometimes Baptist people come to church here and I'm always like, I'll shake their hand like, please stay. <laughs> we need you. Because we're not going to ever have a problem with worship. Most people who come to church here, we grew up in a similar way, right? Like we have a style we gravitate towards, but we don't just want big spirit. We also want big truth. And if you'll deal with some of our antics, we'll deal with some of yours. And then we'll worship together and we'll be together and we'll be a body despite our differences. Of course, God moves through the worship, but he doesn't stop moving when the preaching starts. It's like we, we have this like, despite charismatics believing that that's the case. We believe that worship is an act of God and that preaching is an act of man. So like when somebody gets up to take the offering, it's like, oh, nope. I mean, this is, this is the part where like man takes over the service. No, preaching is just as supernatural as worshiping in, in all throughout the book of Acts. Can't really tell how this is going over, but I can tell it's rubbing a few people the wrong way. I don't know. 
maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it's interesting to me. We'll look at like a 17-year-old worship leader, you know, lead us into the presence of God. Be like, that's so spiritual. And then you've got like a 72-year-old pastor that's been living to God for, living for God for like decades. Like, that's an active man. We, we, we need to like really expand our understanding of what God wants to do through his church. Preaching is spiritual, amen? In the New Testament, Jesus is always teaching, the church is always preaching, and what does the church preach primarily? It preaches Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches Jesus. He tells people to get saved by Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, once the healing happens, Peter stands up again and he preaches Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3, 42 out of the 99 total verses are sermons. That means 40% of the first several weeks of the church was recorded as preaching. 40%. Preaching and preaching Jesus is extremely important to a book of Acts church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I know it may not always make sense, but God says it's his power in our mouths. So here's our response. Preaching Jesus and his good news is an essential, irreplaceable priority in our house. The act of preaching is a God-ordained instrument of Holy Spirit ministry for the church and the world. We don't just get through the preaching after worship, but we rejoice in every opportunity to take hold of truth. I heard T.D. Jake say one time, it's like, worship is when we get to give something to God. Preaching is when God gets to give something to us. So don't come for the worship and skip the word, and don't come for the word and skip the worship. Like, both are intricately connected as part of the ministry of the church. Both are needed. You need both. I need both. Our church needs both. Amen? Mark number seven is many salvations and baptisms. If you look at Acts 2 and 41, it says, Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4 and verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In the book of Acts, church, people were saved constantly, and thousands of them were saved quickly. And immediately after they were saved, what happened? They got baptized. Now, I realize when the book of Acts is happening, nobody is really, quote, unquote, saved. In Nashville, 2023, everyone is saved. Like, I get that. I understand that. While we live in a postmodern secular culture where, according to research, Christianity is declining, we live in a city where being a Christian is the cultural norm. I realize that, Nashvilleans. I get that. And so the result of that, however, is that we no longer see a need to evangelize, to preach Jesus, to invite people to get saved. We just invite other people that we know are already Christians to come to our church with us. So oftentimes when our churches grow, especially in the South, it's not the result of a particular, or it is the result of a particular ministry's popularity and the grace of God, of course, more so than an abundance of people getting saved and baptized. That's the reality of the culture we live in. That's true. I'm not against people changing churches or transfer growth, but I am concerned that we've largely ignored the Great Commission. We've believed a lie that it's solely the job of paid clergy to evangelize and that we simply do not expect an abundance of salvations and baptisms to happen in our churches. I think we need to pray and I think we need to repent and prepare ourselves for a new era of church. The relaxed time of nominal normative cultural Christianity is coming to a close. 2020 took care of that. The church of the future is a missional evangelizing church and we'd better get ready to be a part of it. 
In addition, Nashville is filled. Yeah, they might be quote-unquote saved, but they're prodigals. Nashville's filled with prodigals, people who are far from God. I am targeting them in prayer, and I am asking you to do the same and believe God for their renewal. While many in our mission field may have heard the gospel before, I believe that God wants them to hear it again. So here's our response. We expect an ongoing increase of salvations and baptisms happening in and through our church. For the lost and for the prodigals, we choose to increase invitational opportunities for people to be saved at Legacy and increase our emphasis on evangelism and missions as well as the personal responsibility of every believer to share the gospel always. You guys cool with that? I'm running out of time, but I got three more. Number nine, I'm just going to abbreviate. So don't worry. It's going to go quick. Number eight is this, devotion to church fellowship. I've kind of already hit on this with the corporate thing, so I won't go long on this. But in uh, verse 42 of Acts 2, it says, they devoted, everybody say devoted, to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And you'll see if you keep reading in that little area there, you'll see that all came upon every soul as a result of the church's devotion to these four things. There was tangible, supernatural unity and favor as well as daily church expansion as a result of that devotion. The point I'm trying to make is that the early church was so clearly devoted to being together. Hebrews chapter 10, we've all heard it. The apostle Paul said, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I mentioned earlier the Pew Research statistic. And I'm encouraging us as Legacy Church, don't do what's cultural. Do what's biblical. Be devoted to the fellowship. That's what I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you. I understand there's, you can't be here all the time, and that's fine. But on the days that you can and you refuse to listen to what God's asking you to do, I'm just asking you to search your heart and ask the Holy Spirit for help as to how devoted he's called you to be to a covenant community that he longs to plant you in so that you can be a part of it. We all need it. We all need it. One of the primary reasons why we need each other is because no man can crucify himself. Right? I need you to offend me so that I can learn how to be a forgiver. I need community, even if it's just to burn my biscuits every other Sunday. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I need to be a part of a family. I can put a nail in this hand by myself. I can put a nail in my feet by myself. But I'm going to need to hand the hammer to one of you guys to keep me on the cross. That's one of the primary reasons we need to be in community. It's not just to have some accountability to not be in sin. By, by the way, accountability primarily is not to keep you out of sin. It's to hold you fast to righteousness. It's not just to make sure you don't look at porn. It's to make sure that you say yes to your calling. So that whenever you say, I think I'm going to take a time out from the things that God spoke to me to do. You can say, uh, actually, hold on, wait just a second. I'm pretty sure that I was there when that prophetic promise was declared over your life. And you said you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he told you you were called to these great things. What are you doing? Why still come to church? That doesn't mean you're not backsliding. You have to get engaged with what God has called you to do. Toe the front line of the kingdom and be engaged in intimacy with Jesus real time. You can't just rely on an encounter you had at youth camp. Like that's the kind of church we want to be. 
That's what we want to pursue. That's what we want to go after. Not, not just accepting like cultural Christianity. We want to actually lean in and be a part of a biblical faith. And so here's our response. We refuse to believe the lie that devotion to church fellowship is sporadic once or twice a month in attendance or a few times a year. We prayerfully and aggressively shatter the illusion of devotion that nominal cultural coddling postmodern Christianity offers. We choose wholehearted devotion to church fellowship within the covenant community that God has planted us in. All right, number nine, and I don't have time for this, but it's radical generosity. Radical generosity, that's that's the ninth mark of a book of Acts church. Uh, Verse 45, Acts chapter 2, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 34, chapter 4, there was not a needy person among them. What if our church could testify to that? That nobody in our fellowship had a need. That's hashtag goals right there. Is that there's so much generosity, it's like you're hurting, we got you. You need something, we got you. It's never too big for the family. You need something, we got you. All right, Mark 10, uh, not, not the gospel of Mark chapter 10, but the Mark number 10. It's supernatural healing and miracles, and this is why we read Acts chapter 3. Supernatural healings and miracles happened often in the ministry of Jesus. Supernatural miracles happened often in the book of Acts. Supernatural miracles happened often in the New Testament. I believe, church, that supernatural healings and miracles could and should happen in 2023 in our churches. You believe it? Listen, I'm not... I'm not the Apostle Peter and Seth is not the Apostle Paul, but I do know that the same Holy Spirit that was in Peter and Paul is in me and Seth. And so I'm, I may not have walked with Jesus in the flesh, but Jesus himself said it's better that I don't so that I can get the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can walk through me every single day so that we can see more than what he did while he was here through his church. So I believe it, church. I believe that we are supposed to see supernatural healings and miracles constantly. So here's our response. Our church boldly believes for many supernatural healings and miracles to be done among us often by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We will do what Jesus told us to do. We will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So I know I got through those six points quickly. I know I did get on my soapbox there on a couple of occasions, but I truly believe that what we've pulled out of the book of Acts through the first three chapters are absolutely evident biblical marks of what it looks like to bring about the blueprint of Acts in 2023. You guys agree? Let's stand. We're going to pray into them. Father, we say thank you for giving us Jesus. Jesus, we say thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we say thank you so much for giving us gifts and fruit and all the things that you've bestowed to us as your church. Lord, we want to be good stewards of all those things. We're grateful for the covenant community that we're a part of, and we're thankful for this season that we've set aside here to study the book of Acts. I, I, I know that it's not always the most individually encouraging messages, but I really believe that by the hand of the Father, he's marked out a time on our calendar to come together and to look at his word and to see what it would look like for a church with the impact of Acts to be gathered together around Jesus in 2023. God, we just want to give you permission to do what you want in your own house. We give you permission to do what you want in your own house. 
Lord, we listen to you because we love you. And we ask you to just do what you want to do in your own house. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Can we bless the Lord together? Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.